My name is Andrew, part of the team here at C3, and uh, today we're going to continue in our series entitled Coming Home. Do you know we all need a home, don't we? I love my home. It's a place where I can be myself. It's a safe place. It's a secure place. Do you know I can sort of go there, kick off my shoes, put my feet up on the settees when my wife's not around. I can put my feet up on the settees. I can just be myself. I can take the mask off. I can just chill out and relax. And you know, that's exactly what we want for you here at C3. We want you, when you come through these doors, to feel that this is your home. This is a place where you can be yourself. This is a place we can take the mask off. This is a place where, where you can be inspired and encouraged and become everything that God wanted you to be. A place that you, says, you can say, you know what, C3, this is my home. You know, I don't know too many people who would not want to be part of a community or a family. No, prior to coming to um, Cambridge, to C3, um, we lived in a, a little town called Wellingborough. And uh, our house actually backed on to an infant school. And uh, from our bedroom window, you could actually see the infant school playground absolutely clear. We could see everything that was happening. In fact, we could hear the noise of the kids just playing together and having fun together. And we decided that as soon as Rhiannon hit the age of four, that's my daughter, by the way, as soon as she hit the age of four, that's the school that we were going to put her in. It was literally 30 seconds from our front door to the, to the school. So it was a no-brainer for us. Now, the problem is, and you might be shocked at this, um, when Rhiannon was four, she was very reserved and shy. It's, it's a shocking thing, isn't it? And the other problem that we had was this, that the school was a bit rough where we were living. And we really were concerned that perhaps when she goes there, she wouldn't really sort of fit in. And uh, for several weeks, really, my wife used to stand by the window during the break times and the lunch break to kind of see if Rhiannon was really fitting in with the rest of the kids in the playground. And I tell you what, it was heartbreaking. Because everybody in the playground would be playing, they'd be laughing, they'd be having joking with each other, they'd, they'd just be having fun. But Rhiannon would, be st would stand on the very edge of the playground by herself, all alone, sad, and looking depressed. Why? Because at that moment in time, she was outside, thank you very much, she was outside of the community. For that moment in time, she was outside of the community. She was on the periphery, just simply looking in. It's painful, isn't it, to be on, an out, on the outside? It's painful to be an outsider, isn't it? It's painful because often when you're an outsider, you feel alone. You feel less than. Sometimes you, you feel totally insignificant as the rest of the crowd just goes by and just ignores you. Don't take any notice of you. You can actually feel that perhaps even people don't like you. It's a powerful thing to be on the outside looking in. You know, we don't want anybody to feel like an outsider at C3. It doesn't matter whether you've been here for five years or five minutes. We want everybody that walks through this door, no matter how long they've been coming, to enjoy us as a church community. We really do. Why are we so passionate about developing and cultivating community? Well, I want to say this to you very clearly. We, we want to develop community because it's biblical. It's biblical. Because God designed us in such a way that we can only reach our full potential in community. Have you asked yourself this question ever? 
You know, what was God's answer to Adam's loneliness? Remember he said it's not good for man to be alone? What was, God, uh, what was God's answer to Adam's loneliness? Now listen, his loneliness was not a result of a poor connection with God. It says in the Bible that, uh, that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Sin hadn't even entered the world, so the relationship between God and Adam was good. But God's solution to Adam's loneliness was not more of himself. What God did was this. He created someone like Adam, another human being, and that human being was called Eve. Listen, we were not designed just to have a vertical relationship with God. We were designed by God to have a horizontal relationship also with one another. Do you know, um, when you do Alpha, you, you, know, you come across this phrase, isn't it? There's, a, there's a God hole in everybody's heart. And I believe that, a God-shaped hole that only God can sort of fill. But you know what? I actually believe that it's a community hole, a relational hole that only human beings can actually uh, fill. And you know what? That's our responsibility. God has delegated that responsibility to us. That's why in the scriptures it talks about us having a debt of love. What does that actually mean? It means that we owe each other each other. It's as simple as that. We owe each other each other. Listen, the Bible says God made us in, let, sorry, God said, let us make man in our own image. Let us, that's plural, isn't it? Make man in our, that's again plural, own image. What's he talking about there? He's talking about, listen, we want to make man in the image of the Godhead. Listen, God's plan for us was that we should enjoy and flourish a community here on earth, as part of his church family, that's a reflection in some way or other of the Godhead community. Now, just consider the Godhead community for a moment. In the Godhead community, each person has a different role to play. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet each person gives preference and honor to another. There's no competition in the, in, in the Godhead. There is perfect, perfect harmony and community in the Godhead. They enjoy one purpose. They enjoy one heart and one mind. I believe that that's God's intention for us as a church community. That's a high bar, isn't it? That's a high bar to set. But I believe that's what God's intention is for us. And as a church, that's the high bar that we want to set as well. We want this community here at C3 to somehow or other reflect something of the community that's experienced in the Godhead. How many of us if we're honest, real, would realize that that kind of community just does not come overnight. It does not come cheap. Let me just read to you James uh, 3, verse 18, and it's in your notes. This is taken from the message. You can develop a healthy and robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other with dignity and honor. I love that scripture because James is saying there, to have a healthy community, we not only have to be right with God, we have to be right with each other. But he also goes on to sort of identify the hidden cost associated with that kind of statement, i.e. it's to do with working hard at getting along with each other. That's, that's the cost of that kind of community. It's working hard to get along with each other. Someone once said this, it takes the power of God and the effort of man to produce a loving Christian community. It takes the power of God and the effort of man to produce a loving Christian community. So how do we begin to cultivate a community in C3 that somehow or other reflects something of the Godhead community? Well, there's many things, but I just want to flag up three uh, ways in which we can cultivate a Godhead-type community at C3. First of all, 
If you're going to cultivate real community, then real community demands that we are properly dressed. Real community demands that we're properly dressed. You can tell a lot of things, can't, can't we, from the way people dress. You just consider for a moment um, someone with a school uniform on. Instantly, you know that they're a child. Secondly, you know if you're sort of in that community, even which school they go to. But, you know, the uniform does more than that, doesn't it? It does more than identify who they are. What happens is that that, that sort of uniform actually helps the children feel part of the school community. It actually sort of helps them identify with each other. What it does is to kind of reinforce that sense of being part of a school family. So my question is this. What kind of dress code should we have here at C3? What kind of dress code should we have here at C3? Now, if I was to ask you that question, I suspect I would get a lot of different answers. So rather than ask you that this morning, I did something radical. I read the Bible, and I got my answer from the Bible. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 5, 5. The Bible says this, clothe yourself with humility towards each other. I believe the dress code for the Christian community should be one of humility. Let me give you two reasons why I believe that humility should be the dress code for a Christian community. Firstly, because the opposite of humility, self-importance and stubborn pride, are the, the things that destroy community quicker and faster than anything else on planet Earth. We live in a world, don't we, that elevates individuality? We really do. I, me, mine. People are more interested in asserting their rights rather than accepting their responsibility to others. They see the world very much in terms of, it's all about little old me, my needs, my preoccupation. You know, someone once said this to me. I don't think they, I think they regretted it afterward, but they said this to me. Well, I've tried God, but it didn't work for me. And I'm thinking, actually... That's really an odd thing to say. I've tried God, but it didn't work for me. As if we are the center of the universe. Listen, we're not the center of the universe. He's the center of the universe. Listen, he's the one that came and created us. He's the one that's redeemed us. He's the one that's paid the price. You know, he's the king of kings and lord of all. We can't reduce our relationship to one of, I'm the master and he's the servant. He serves me. No, we serve him. We really do. We serve him. And we serve him out, out, of, our, out of our sonship and our, and our daughtership. We are sons and daughters of the living king. And because we are part of his family, and because we're sons and daughters, we serve him and others simply because of his love for us. He's the one that's brought us in. He's the one that's paid the price. So often we get it the other way around. We should be the most humble people on planet earth. Because God has done so much for us. So much for us. Just saving our soul. I hate the word just. Saving our soul had nothing to do with us. It was to do with him. We should be the most humble people on planet Earth. You see, pride and selfless, uh, selfishness builds walls between people. A proud person says, you know what? I don't need you. I don't need your input. I, I, I want to stay. I'm, I'm in control. And even if I do you, uh, need your input, I'm going to use your input to meet my needs. Have you ever felt used and abused sometimes in relationships? It's an awful thing to experience, isn't it? See, pride, proud attitudes push people away. Proud attitudes sour and spoil relationships. It pushes people away from you. Pride 
never builds community. Proud people always breeds a sense of inferiority and insignificance in the heart of those people that are around them. Pride blocks people out. It's difficult to warm the people who are so full of themselves that they've got no room for you, isn't it? Whilst pride builds walls, humility builds bridges. Whilst pride builds walls, humility builds bridges. Humility says, I value you. Humility says, you know, I need you. Humility says, I value your thoughts, your ideas, your opinions. In fact, humility actively seeks out other people to help. A humble person realizes that he or she cannot become everything that God intended us to be without the help of others. This is not just about a vertical relationship. It's about a horizontal relationship as well. You see, humble people build bridges that allow people access into their lives. And that takes a bit of honesty and openness and vulnerability, doesn't it? And sometimes when we do that, sometimes we can get hurt and burnt. But I want to tell you, in my experience, for me at least anyway, being hurt and burnt is such a rare thing when I'm genuinely open and vulnerable with an individual. Now, if you've experienced that, can I just say this to you? Listen, don't allow that one negative experience rob you of the riches that could be yours as you open up your, your life to others. Most people that I know respond absolutely with love and, and, and encouragement when people genuinely are open with them. Showing our weakness is our strength sometimes. You know, David, I believe, would have been a lesser king if he hadn't been humble enough to build bridges um, with Jonathan. I, b I believe that Paul would have been a lesser apostle if he hadn't been humble enough to bridge build bridges with Barnabas. I, I believe that Moses would have been a, a lesser leader if he hadn't been humble enough to build bridges and allowed his father-in-law, Jethro, to have some influence in his life. These were mighty men of God, and yet they were humble enough to go out and be vulnerable and open and invite people to speak into their lives. I believe that's what God's calling us to, be, to do here as a community. I believe God is calling us to be humble enough to open our lives and allow people in. They were richer for it, and so would we. We will never be poorer because of it. Humility builds bridges. It invites people in. Humility draws people to each other. Humility opens up and deepens relationships and therefore enhances community. Let me give you another reason why I believe humility should be part of our dress code here. Humility is the way that we access God's grace. Humility is the way that we access God's grace. That, that uh, scripture that I read earlier on from 1 Peter 5, 5 says this, doesn't it? Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. But the second part of the scripture says this, because God opposes the proud, but listen to this, but gives grace to the humble. But gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, I need grace. I need God's unmerited favor in my life day by day to change and grow and become everything that he wants me to become. I, I need God's grace in my life to flourish and to help others and to be significant in, in, in the plans and purposes of God. I need his grace. But we can't receive God's grace unless we're humble enough to admit that we need it. And here's the thing. Often God channels his grace through people. Often God will channel his grace into our life through people. God will often use people to channel his wisdom into our life. 
Often God will, will sort of use people to channel his provision into, into our life. Often God will use people to channel his kindness and his encouragement into our lives. One of the ways that God actually dispenses grace is through the lives of other people in our community, in our church community around us. But when we are proud, when we're independent, when we fail to, to build those relational build, uh, bridges, guess what? We block off so much of God's grace that can flow into our lives. Do you know, this for me was a key lesson when I first came to, to C3. Listen, I was brought up in a church. It's a good church. I'm not knocking the church that I was brought up in, right? But the, the, the church I was brought up in just stressed my vertical relationship with God. And now, listen, it's crucial that we have a, a vertical relationship with God. But since coming to C3, I want to say I've grown massively by listening to the wisdom of others. You know, my faith uh, has, has grown simply because I've opened up my life and people have been gracious enough to bless me. My understanding of God and His Word has increased and how we can apply God's Word into our life by simply coming to my connect group and listening to people further on in God than I am. God uses people to dispense His grace so often and that proud who fail to build up relational bridges block off so much of God's grace. We become smaller people because of it. Let me give you some practical ways that we can develop humility. One, how about admit, uh, admitting our weaknesses? How about admitting our weaknesses? When's the last time that you actually went along to someone and said, you know what, I'm really struggling in my marriage and I, I really do need some help here. It's not what it should be. I know what it should be, but I just can't get there. How about sort of times when you've had difficulties with your children and you just feel a bit embarrassed as, you know, no, I don't want anyone to know about this. But let me tell you, you know, we've had loads of problems with our kids as they've grown up. And we've benefited from going to people and asking their advice about it. Why not? It's, it, it's a no-brainer to me. When's the last time you asked people to get involved in your life to help you with some emotional issue that you're going through? Perhaps you've had a meltdown at work and a difficulty uh, with, with, with a relative or a friend. How about developing humility by, by being patient with other people's weaknesses? This is, this is one I struggle with. I really do. How often have we become frustrated at other people who are a bit slower at processing information than us or doesn't see the, things, the, the thing that we, want, uh, that we see with, with such clarity? And, and what, what, we actually, what we actually do there is kind of push them away and, uh, or get angry and frustrated with them. How about exercising some self-control and patience with them? How about developing humility by being open to correction? Do we embrace correction and use it so that, so that we can grow and become more and more like Christ? Or do we kind of reject the, 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 the correction and push the people away? People who have been brave enough to actually come forward and speak some truth into our lives. What about this one? How about developing humility by focusing the spotlight on others and not hogging the limelight for yourself? What about this for a motto? If anything goes bad, I did it. If anything seems to go well, then we did it. And if anything goes really well, then you did it. That'd be a great motto to live by, wouldn't it? A great motto to live by. Do you know, we need to be a people who catch people doing good and to celebrate with them. This is how we develop humility, and this is how we develop community. 
Listen, we need to understand this. We need to grow into this stuff. If you think that you, you're beyond growing into humility, then you've already got a problem with pride. I, I was looking at the, the um, uh, Apostle Paul. Listen, in Corinthians, he describes himself like this. He says, I am the least of the apostles. Well, you're still an apostle, Paul. What's the matter? You know, I am the least of the apostles. By the time he gets to Ephesians, and writes Ephesians, he says, "Less, you know, I, 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 I am the, the least of the saints. Well, he's still saved, Paul, you know. I'm the least of the saints. By the time he writes 1 Timothy towards the back end of his life, he says this, I am the chiefest of sinners. This is a man who grew in humility. Let me re- just read you something. If you can start the day without caffeine... If you can always be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, if you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you any time, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can resist treating a rich friend better than a poor friend, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can over, uh, overlook it when those who love you take it out, uh, when, when overlook it when those who love you take it out on you when they have problems that are no fault of yours, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can say honestly that deeply in your heart you have no prejudice against creed, color, religion, or politics, then, my friend, you are almost as good as your dog. (laughs) You know, sometimes we just just think we're, we're more special than we are, you know. We really do. Listen, there's nothing that we can be proud about in one sense in our lives because everything that we have, we receive from him. You know, he gives us all things that we need for life and godliness. So let's kick pride into touch. And how about getting properly dressed to come to church? Get properly dressed and come to church. Secondly, if you're going to cultivate community, then this will demand loving truth-tellers. Or as Rick Warren says, we need people of honesty. You know, to develop community, um, we need people who care enough about us to actually speak the truth into our lives. The problem is, it's so much easier sometimes, isn't it, to kind of remain silent around others when you see them, you know, doing self-destructive behavior. But when we do that, it's not loving them, you know. It's not loving them. We need to have people around us who love us so much that will actually tell us that the kind of stuff that we're doing is hurting us and hurting others. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people don't have people who love them enough to tell the truth. So what happens? They continue on their self-destructive behavior. How many of us, if we're honest, have been in situations when we know we should have said something, but we didn't? Put your hands up. Put your hands up. Being in a situation where you know you should have spoken out, but you didn't. I suspect that the reason you didn't speak out was one of fear. One of fear. Fear that you might be wrong. Fear that you might say it in the wrong way. Fear that you might be misunderstood. Fear that your motives will be questioned. Fear about how they're going to respond and what they're going to say. Fear. But you know, I'm not talking here about just being truth tellers. I'm talking here about being loving truth tellers. Loving truth tellers. See, the Bible says this, to speak the truth in love. And when I'm talking about love here, I'm talking about a love that has the best interest of the person uh, uh, at heart. 
I'm talking about a love that's other rather than self-orientated. This is the agape love that, or the agape love, uh, that divine supernatural love that we receive, not from our natural being, but we receive it from the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, softening our hearts towards other people. This is the kind of love that I believe drives out fear. This is the kind of love that pushes us forward and gives us the courage to speak into people's lives, even though we're a little fearful about what they're going to say. This is the kind of love that builds the community. This is the kind of love in which we can actually speak into people's lives. You know, almost every wedding that I've been to um, had one form or another, sort of a reading from 1 Corinthians. That bit about love, you know that bit about love? Um, they see it as a template almost, don't they, for marriage. And uh, listen to what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It, love always uh, protects, always trusts, and always hopes. Now, that's a great template for marriage, isn't it? Imagine if all our marriages sort of, sort of matched up to that template. Well, actually, I believe that this is the context in which we shall be speaking truth into people's lives. This is the context, is that loving context. Let me give you a little confession here. Um, I was coming to work one morning, it's about three, three, four weeks ago now, I can't remember exactly, and I was running a bit late, and so I thought I'd jump the traffic lights. So I saw it, I thought it's just going to go on, but it went red so quickly that I thought even I couldn't jump the traffic lights. And I thought, and I, I thought it was quite good, oh thank you Lord, I was saying, you, you probably saved me from an accident, you know the things that you end up doing. And, um, and then suddenly, I had a bang on the top of my car, and, and knocking on the window, because what I'd actually done is inadvertently gone into that red zone, you know, that white bike thing on it, you know, this car's not supposed to be there, it's only reserved for, for people in Lycra, you know, that, the, the bike stuff, and um, I sort of, next time, banging on the top and banging on the window, and starting telling me off about being in this sort of red zone, I knew I shouldn't be in the red zone, but he kept on going, then he gave me a one-finger salute, and I thought, I thought, you know, I thought to myself, well, is he telling the truth? Of course he's telling the truth. But I tell you what, I didn't want to do community with him that morning. In fact, I felt like doing him, to be honest. I felt angry and annoyed. Listen, what was lacking? Love. Love. There was no relationship between me and this sort of psycho psychopathic bike <laughs> guy. There was no relationship at all. But he, he had the, the audacity to start banging my car and shouting at me through the window. Listen, he was not patient. He was not kind. He was, he was rude and he was proud. Listen, Solomon says this, the wounds of a friend. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. You know, we need to speak truth to people out of relationship. It has to come out of relationship. I want to give you an example. And before you cru crucify me when I give you this example, this was uh, volunteered by my wife. Now, my wife, okay, is not interested in shopping. Isn't that brilliant? Um, she's, she's not interested in fashion and never has been at all, ever in her life, even when I first met her, you know. Um, and so sometimes I have to motivate her to go and buy some clothes or I have to motivate her to go out and do shopping. So I often say to her, love, you're looking really scruffy. You need to go out and buy some clothes. Okay, now this is her illustration, right? So don't blame me, right? You're looking scruffy, so you, you need to go out and buy some clothes. I can say that. Woe betide any one of you in this room that said that to my wife. Now, why can I say that to my wife? The reason I can say that to my wife is this, because I have a strong, loving relationship with her. Listen, truth spoken by a friend can be painful at times. 
It can be painful. It can wound us. But it need not be fatal when it's done in the context of love. It really does. The problem is this. You know, sometimes we want to drive a 50-ton truth truck over a personal bridge that we've developed in someone's life that can only take half a ton. You know, it takes time. It takes energy. It takes considerable amount of personal commitment to develop a depth in friendships, doesn't it? But friendships are vital. Relationships are vital. And our aim should be to develop relationships that deep enough to allow truth-tellers access into our life. If we really believe that people matter, and how many times has that been said from the platform, then we should go out of our way to build friendships. It should be a priority for us, shouldn't it? It should be a priority for us. I want to ask you this question. Do you have friendships that are deep enough to allow people to speak truth into your life? Do you have enough friendships and, and the depth of friendship that will allow other people to get alongside you and talk about some of the sensitive areas that, and, uh, in your life, that, some of the problems that perhaps you're facing? Perhaps you're saying, well, I, you know, I, I, don't got, I haven't got hardly any friends. Listen, if you, wanna, if you want friends, can I suggest this? It's a really deep, profound thing. Be friendly. Be friendly. Talk about them, not yourself. Be other focus rather than you focus. Look to bless them, not just to receive a blessing from them. And the wonderful thing is, and I don't know how God works this, but God's a gracious God, isn't he? And I don't understand it, but thankfully he does. Some or other, when we start doing that, what happens? We get blessed in, in the process. We get blessed in the process. You know, whilst relationships do take time, be assured that superficial community is guaranteed if we are afraid of conflict. Rick Warren rightly says this, the tunnel of conflict is the passageway to intimacy. The tunnel of conflict is the passageway to in, in, intimacy. It's true, isn't it? When you've spoken truth into someone's life and then worked through some of the fallout of that, often the relationships are stronger, aren't they? They really are. Because then the other person knows that you really are for them. That, that you are wanting to cheer them on. That you want the best for them. That, that, you, that you're committed to them. And I believe that this is the stuff that really builds community. This is the stuff that enables us to kind of sort of open our lives up and actually have people input into our lives, working through problems, and then coming out the other side bigger and better people with a stronger and more coherent uh, community. This is the stuff that we need to build if we're going to actually sort of have a community that reflects something of the Godhead community. Thirdly, let me just say this. Real community demands courtesy. Real community demands courtesy. Courtesy is simply respecting our differences. You know, in every church, there'll be at least one difficult person. I want to ask you, do you know one difficult person? If you don't, then perhaps that person is you. You know? Perhaps it's you. In every church, there is at least one difficult person. You know, these people have emotional needs. They, they, they sort of very deep insecurities. They have irritating mannerisms. They, they're, they're poor social skills. These are extra grace required people. And let me, in, let me let you into a secret here. God has divinely orchestrated things so that these extra grace required people are actually part of our community in C3. 
part of our community in C3. And why does he do it? I tell you why he does it. Because he's convinced that those extra grace required people, if they came here, they would receive love, encouragement, and consideration. But there's a flip side of this as well. Another reason why God so orchestrates these people coming in is that he wants us to develop by having opportunities to serve them and to grow them. You can do a lot of things in isolation. You can do a lot of things in isolation. But one thing you cannot do in isolation is develop a real rounded Christian character. You can't develop a rounded Christian character in isolation. That demands community. It demands relationship. You know, the best description I can see in the Bible, and you might disagree with me on this, when it comes to what a Christian character should look like, is is Galatians 5.22, you know, the sort of the fruit of the Spirit, if you like. Listen to what it says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, all those characteristics, all those qualities are relational in, in, in nature, aren't they? It's really difficult to be kind if you're by yourself. It's very difficult, isn't it, to act in goodness if all you, if you, all you do is in isolation and not in relationship. No, these kind of qualities actually develop in relationship. It's as, as, as we engage in community. I believe that people are God's central training plan for us to develop a Christ-like character. We think it's our goals. We think it's our objectives. I don't believe it is. I think it's people. I think it's people. It really is. See, that person sitting next to you. No, I shouldn't say that. The, the person that's irritating you to death at this point in time, how about believing that God had planted them there Okay, to teach you patience, kindness, and self-control. How else are you actually going to develop this stuff in your life? We can't do it. See, let me say this. Community has nothing to do with compatibility. The basis of our community is that we're part of God's family. We're part of God's family. Listen, in the world we say this, oh, we can't choose our friends. Uh, uh, So we can't choose our family. Is that the way? We can't choose our family, we can choose our friends. It's the same in the kingdom. Who chooses God's family? I mean, I don't. Who chooses God's family? God does. God chooses the people that he wants to come into this building. And if God chooses these people to come into this building, what should our response be? Our response should be this. Our response is to love them. Our response is to accept them and respect them and bless them. Not on the basis of who they are, how talented they are, how articulate they are, or how, how, even how hard-working they are. No, it's simply because we belong to each other. Yeah. We're family. Yeah. Our spiritual DNA that runs through our veins are the same spiritual DNA that runs through their veins. We are blood-brought brothers and sisters in Christ. We belong to each other. We really do. Now, listen, in most families, you know each other well, don't you? I, I know how to irritate my daughter. I, I could do it easily. All I'd have to do is go into one of her rooms and just mess around with the books. Just put them out of order. Because she's, she's obsessive about that kind of thing. I, can, I, I know how to, to, to wind her up. But I also know how to love her. I know how to love her. You know, we need to be a people that get to know each other. Get to know the history of each other. Get to know some of the background of each other. You know, we're all different, aren't we? We've got different gifts. We've got different levels of resilience. We've got different levels of wisdom. We've got different relational experiences. And they might come across people who've not had the benefits that you've got and what you've had. 
They might not have had a great background that you've had. They might not have the, the same kind of relational experience that you've had. They might not have had the opportunity to flourish like you had. They might not have people saying good things into their lives and encouraging them on the way. But instead of focusing on their shortcomings, on how far they still need to go, how about treating them like family? Because in family, we accept people simply because who they are. They're part of our family. It's not based on whether they're great looking or, or strong or intelligent. It's based on the fact that they are our family. Yeah. Our family. Listen, we're all shop soil, don't we? We're all wounded. You know, we all, we all need God's grace. John, John Wilson spoke a couple of weeks ago when he introduced this whole concept of C3 groups about sort of uh, us being a big church but also needing to be a small church at the same time. Remember, we're talking from the book of Acts. They said they worship in the temple, but they also worship in, in each other's home. The apostles were really smart people. They realized that if they're going to build church, then they need some context that allow people to develop authentic community. And the wonderful thing is this. It says uh, at the end of, uh, of that scripture that God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, some people, when they read that scripture, read it like this. They read that, that the reason that they were in the temple and then met in families and their homes is simply in order to contain the growth because 3,000 people is a lot of people to sweep into the kingdom in a single day. I don't believe that. I believe the reason that they met in people's own homes is because... Deep down, the apostles realized that authentic community is one of the keys to growth. That's why God added to their number daily those who are being saved. Authentic community is a catalyst for growth. It doesn't just contain it. You know, it's a catalyst for growth. So I want to encourage you guys. We had 11 people sign up at the moment to run uh, or to lead some of our C3 groups. How about you thinking through, what can I do to provide the context of real, authentic community so that people can come in and who knows, they might be saved daily. They might be saved daily. I wonder if the band could come up, please. just want to say this about community. and You know, community is based on conviction, not convenience. Community is based on conviction, not convenience on the conviction that we need everyone to be everything that God intended us to be, on the conviction that we need others so that we can be the best me that we can be, on the conviction that God has so orchestrated our lives and put us in this church to flourish and be blessed and be a blessing to others. It's based on the conviction that God wants the very best for us, and so he's put us here. It's based on the fact that, so on the conviction that, that God wants us to experience the reality of being part of a truly loving family, a family that cheers you on, a family that sort of accepts you, a family that wants the best for you, a family that wants to treat you as a brother and sister in Christ Jesus. You know, some disturbing stats came out um, about church attendance in America. And it says that the Christians in, in America now, the average church attendance per month is 1.5. It used to be 1.8. Now it's gone down to 1.5. I tell you, if we come to church 1.5 times a month, I want to tell you this. It guarantees that we'll end up with a very shallow community. That's why the scripture says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing, but instead, let's encourage one another. Listen. Listen. 
we can't do church by proxy. We have to be here. Why? Because we need to put the hard work in about relationships. We have to put the hard work in. That's put the time in to build relationships. That's the only way that we at C3 are going to develop a, commu a community that in some way begins to reflect something of the community in the Godhead.